Everybody say, oh, oh, so amazing. So Speak to us now, O Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today. For this is why we've come, dear Lord. We're ready for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass, but God, your word will forever last. We stand now ready for your word. Father, we bless you and thank you for the privilege and opportunity you give us to gather together as a family of believers. And we pray now that as your word goes forth, it will find fertile ground in our hearts and minds so that we would be more than hearers of your word, that we would be doers as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What philosophy guides how you live? What model, what thought? guides your words, your thoughts, and your actions. Now, whether you realize it or not, whether it is stated or unstated, everybody lives by a set of guidelines. You may not be able to articulate them, but there are things that guide you. There are values that guide you. For example, there's somebody in here, uh, you try to live your life by the golden rule. Right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, somebody in here, you might live by the mantra, never give up. No matter what, keep on fighting, never give up. Uh, some of you live by the mantra, if it gets tough, quit. I mean, it's true, right? Things get tough, man. If it, if it starts pushing back on you, it gets a little heavy, you just throw up the deuces. That's it. That's your philosophy of life or living. Well, just like you have a philosophy of life and living, the Good Hope Church has a philosophy of living ministry out. And I think it's important for you to understand what that is, especially in this first quarter of the year when people are looking for churches and trying to decide if they're going to start going back to church. What, what, what does a church need to look like in order for you to say, yeah, that's where I want to be. Now, when we talk about our mission statement, uh, the mission statement of a church describes what that church is committed to doing. And the mission statement of the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church you have in front of you, you all did such a great job of memorizing it over the last week. But I thought I would make it easier for you. You could read it today. Let's read it together, the mission statement of our church. The Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church will love God, love all people, and change the world in order to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You, you have to know what the mission of your organization is that you are a part of 
if you are going to be a positive contributor to that organization. We also have a purpose statement. And the purpose statement, while the mission statement describes what we do, the purpose statement describes why we do it. Look at the purpose statement and let's read it together. The purpose of the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church is to help people live to the praise, glory, and honor of God. That's our purpose. That's why we exist. If we're not doing what our purpose is, then we don't need to exist any longer. A cookie factory that doesn't make cookies needs to go out of business. A dry cleaners who doesn't know how to clean clothes needs to shut the door. And a church that is not committed to helping people be the best that they can be is a church that needs to close. I've told all of you who are new members here when I've talked to you, you are not here to make me a big preacher. I'm here to make you a big Christian. That's our goal. That's our focus here at the Good Oak Church to help you be the best husband, the best wife, the best man, the best woman, the best son, the best daughter, the best Christian you can possibly be. But we also have that drives us a vision statement. And while the mission statement describes what we do and the purpose statement describes why we do what we do, the vision statement describes the living out of our mission statement in a specific context of ministry. In other words, the mission and the purpose are kind of broad and general. Every church should have basically the same mission and purpose. But when we talk about the vision statement, we're talking about what God has called us specifically to do. And today I want to focus on that because I need somebody to understand the why behind the what. That there's a method behind the madness, that the things that we do, we do intentionally and we do on purpose to fulfill a purpose. If you have your outlines today, I want to talk to you from the thought of vision-focused Christian, a vision-focused Christian. Now, the reason I'm titling this message of vision-focused Christian is because the church is nothing more than the conglomeration of the Christians and called out believers who make it up. You know, when we drive down the street and we say, oh, that's, that's, that's the Good Hope Church over there, that's really a misnomer. The church is not brick and mortar. As a matter of fact, if, if we were going to be correct, this is the place that the Good Hope Church typically gathers. But wherever we gather, that's where the church is. And wherever we are, that's where the church is because you are the church. Look at somebody and tell them you are the church. Yeah, you are the church. Here's the first of four things I want you to see today if you're going to be a vision-focused Christian because in order for the church to be vision-focused, you must be vision-focused. Number one, you must commit to meaningful fellowship with other believers. You must commit to meaningful fellowship with other believers. The first part of our vision statement says, over the next year, Good Hope will, through a small group celebration missional model, through a small group celebration missional model, 
One of the things that we need to understand about the church is the church is always at its best in the context of relationships. Acts 2 verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That word fellowship in the original language is the word kononia. And the word kononia is more than just eating together or more than just hanging out together. It literally means to be in union with or in partnership with. And that partnership is typically mutually beneficial. We are in partnership or should be in partnership with one another. We should have a close mutual relationship that has as its goal us encouraging one another. That's what real fellowship is about. Look at what the Bible says in verse 46, Acts chapter 2. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I want you to underline the temple together and then underline breaking bread in their homes. The model for ministry that we want to replicate in our modern context is right in front of us. It's not just the Sunday morning gathering. It's not just the small groups or Sunday school classes or missional groups. It's both and. That when you come on Sunday morning, you are to be inspired. You are to be motivated. But when you leave here, it is in those small groups that you should be loved on in a personal way. That you should be cared about. And those small groups become the vehicle through which you serve and make a difference in the world. One of the things you will hear people say is, I don't want to be a part of no big church, right? I I'm just a number. Well, here's what I I've come to learn. You only feel like a number when you're not connected. <laughs> Let me give you an example. If, if I go to a Rockets game or go see the Texans play, and I've got three or four people that I go with, I don't feel like a number. Number one, I'm going to see the game. Number two, if I've got three or four of my friends with me, I'm going to hang out with my friends. So guess what? I don't worry about what the other 20,000 people are doing because I got my tribe there. You follow what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of people down, sitting downstairs. You don't know the people in the balcony, but you have your tribe with you. You have your friends that you have developed, relationships that you have developed. It's the connectivity that people are looking for. And that connectivity is both small group and celebration model. So when we push you to become part of a small group, when we're encouraging you to become part of an affinity group, to find people who are like-minded with like interests, and always surround that interest around the study of the Word of God and the living out of the Word of God. So if you want to fish, Hey, have a small group fishing group. And when you go fishing, spend some time in the Word while you're fishing. And encourage one another in the Word while you're fishing. And if you like to bowl, start a bowling small group. And make sure you spend time away from the lanes investing in each other and encouraging each other and being that positive influence in somebody's life. Now, here's one of the challenges we have today. We have streaming. We have social media. Hi, streamers. 
right? And we'll have anywhere from two to 300, 400 people streaming. And they'll be streaming locally, nationally, and some people streaming internationally. And there are those who are in churches right now. There are pastors who are saying, you know what, man, we need to cut that stream and stuff out. We need to make folk come back to the church, physically come back to the church. Here's what I need everybody to understand. And those of you who are streaming, here's what I want you to understand. Number one, you will never be the best Christian you can be in isolation. As a matter of fact, when you live in isolation, you will always think you're a better Christian than you really are. It's when you are in the context of relationships and you get on other folks' nerves and they get on your nerves that you find out you may not be as much of a Christian as you thought you were. But here's the other challenge. As high-tech as our society becomes, we more and more need high-touch. We need relationships. We need real, live human beings who can help love us where we are and we can encourage each other to where we each need to go. Here's the second thing. Number two, you must commit to serving others. You must commit to serving others. The vision statement of the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church says serve people. You want to know why we do what we do and why we do so much serving? That's our vision, to serve people. As a matter of fact, the church of Jesus Christ in the first century got traction in an anti-church age by loving people and serving people. We put the love of God in action. And that's what we are called to do today. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 42. Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Everybody clamors. Everybody gallops to be in charge to be the president, to be the executive director. And most people want to be in charge simply because they want to give orders. And they want other folk to listen to them. It's not like they have this really unique, brand new vision for the organization. They don't have this cutting edge revelation. They just want to be in charge. And Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. Look at what he says. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that word servant, Greek word diakonos, is where we get deacon from. Deaconess, minister. And it literally refers to a waiter or an attendant, somebody who has the specific task of serving somebody, sometimes in a menial way. Jesus gave us a picture of what it looked like in John chapter 13 when he washed the feet of his disciples. Foot washing was a menial task. When people came in off of dusty roads and they had on sandals, the servant of the house would wash their feet 
to both refresh them and to cleanse them. Jesus, being their master, being their teacher, being their rabbi, was the person who should have had his feet washed. But instead, he washed their feet and then said to them, the servant is not greater than the master. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Most of you don't mind serving. You just don't like being treated like a servant. <laughs> right? You, you serve on your terms. <laughs> but not only anybody like look at you like you're supposed to be doing that, you know. <laughs> so I remember on one occasion, early on, I had just moved here and become the pastor. I've been here maybe three or four months. And my whole philosophy of service was, what I wanted to display to the church. And so we had a funeral, and we were in Cashaw Hall at the time. Uh, we didn't have the Family Life Center then, and it was packed. Large funeral was packed, and we had some of the ladies who were in the kitchen. They were cooking, and they would come out and serve, and people started complaining because they weren't getting water enough, and they weren't getting enough iced tea you know, and of course, they were acting like, you know, they were at Vic and Anthony's, you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's amazing how Christian folk can act non-Christian real quick, you know what I mean? It don't make no sense. You got to wait for all that. It don't take this long to get some water. Ever. <laughs> so I'm sitting there at the table, and I got up, and I went in the kitchen. And I said, hey, ladies, y'all need any help? And they said, no, pastor, sit down. You sit down. Sit down. I said, no, 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 because there's some people that need some water out there. I said, let me get a pitcher of water and some tea and take it out and start pouring it. No, pastor, you can't do that. No, no, no. No, you the pastor. Go sit down. I said, no, no, I'm a servant. I'm good. So I got the water and I got the tea. And the first one I started at was the one that was grumbling the most. And so I, I stood up over her. She didn't even look up. I stood up over her. I said, would you like some water tea? That's about time got some water tea. Yes, I'd like some water. And then she looked up and it was like, I'm sorry, do you have a case of foot in your mouth? What's wrong? And she said, you, 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 the, you the pastor? I said, yes, ma'am. Is there anything else you would like? And she said, no, I'm, I'm okay. Okay, thank you very much. And I just went on. Look at the bottom of point number two. If the task is too low for you, the problem is you're too high. See, the truth of the matter is serving will expose your pride and your self-righteousness. So when you come here, for example, at our community empowerment event, and you come and you are called to serve people who may not be financially as well off as you, may not be as academically far along as you are, can you humble yourself and serve them and give dignity in your service to them? Because if you can't do that, the problem is not with the people who are coming here. The problem is with you. Here's the third thing. Number three, 
You must commit to changing the world wherever you are. You must commit to changing the world wherever you are. Our vision statement, very specific, states our target areas are 04, 21, 33, and 51, and the Houston metropolitan area. Now, the Bible says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, the great commandment, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded, and he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. There's one imperative in that passage, make disciples. But today I want us to focus on the go. Because go is not an imperative. It's not a command. Jesus doesn't call us to make a special trip. What Jesus says is, participle, as you are going. As you go. In other words, every day of your life you're going. And every day of your life, you run into the two people who are in the world, people who need Jesus and people who know Jesus. And every day in your life, you should be in the mindset of making disciples, helping people know Jesus and helping people grow in Jesus. Now, let's be honest. We don't see the world as a place for us to change lives. Many times we see the world as a place to endure and survive. We don't see ourselves as the change agents that God has called us to be. Jesus says you've got to start seeing yourself as a change agent and then start changing where you are. Where do we first start changing? Look at Luke 24, verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. We commit to start changing the world where we worship and where we live. We commit to start changing the world where we worship and where we live. Why where we worship? Because I don't believe God has us meeting here by accident. I don't believe it's a coincidence. I believe it's a God incident. And we will not be a church that does drive through Christianity and drive by ministry. I intentionally moved into this neighborhood. Just so politicians and others, including people in the community couldn't see me as an outsider. I'm not a visitor that comes in every week. I'm a resident. That's my commitment to this community. Now, I'm not saying you need to move into the neighborhood. Be nice to have you. But what I am saying is, if this is the place that we worship, we should at least be salt and light where we worship. What difference can we make here in this community? You know, there was a time pastors would brag about how far members would drive to get to their churches. I got people driving an hour to come to church, right? Now, all of this was pre-gas being $3 a gallon (laughs) because all that changed, right? 
No, no, listen, I, when I was in seminary, there was a church in Dallas that had members who drove from Houston every Sunday to go to church. Some of y'all looking like, woo, Jesus, that's some commitment there, right? Folk who drive from San Antonio to come to Houston to church. And they would brag about it. Here was my question. The question is not how many people drive a long distance to get to church. How many people in the community you meet in walk to church? See, I believe God is calling us to take a parish-based approach to ministry. Anybody here know what a parish is? Right, that's a designated area that a church would be responsible for. Typically, it would be used in Catholic vernacular. This is a parish. Everybody who lived in that area went to that church. You didn't have no choice. If you lived on the low east side of Manhattan and you lived where I live, 465 East 10th Street, apartment 13H, you didn't have a choice as to what Catholic church. You went to St. Emmerich's because we lived in the parish of St. Emmerich's. Is everybody praying with me? For me, this is our parish. I want to know everybody in the parish. I want to be the pastor to everybody in the parish. Crackhead and Christian. I want, I want to be pastor to everybody. Holy folk and the whole. I want to be pastor to everybody. 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 When I ride down, I want to say, that's my pastor right there. That's my preacher right there. What's up, Rev? Because this is my parish. But it's not just our parish where we should impact in terms of where we meet. It's where you live. You have to be salt and light where you live. Shame on you if your neighbors don't know you're a Christian. Shame on you if your civic association doesn't know you're a Christian. Now, I'm not talking about walking into the civic club meeting with a big old coffee table Bible with the iridescent Jesus on the cover. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about your positive outlook on life, your encouragement, your love, your positivity should let somebody know that there's something different about you. Am I making sense? Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses where people know you, Jerusalem, where they don't know you in Judea, where they don't like you in Samaria, and where they don't expect you to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here's the fourth and final thing. Number four, you must commit to helping people be all God wants. You must commit to helping people be all God wants. That's our vision, to help 2,000 new people make our church the place they can believe, belong, and become all God wants. Now, you're going to see some statistics in just a moment talking about not just the number of people that joined, but even more importantly, the demographic breakdown of those who joined. And we are blessed to be a multi-generational church. I'm grateful. I'm glad that the smartest person in this church is not 30 years old. I'm glad. I'm glad that the oldest person in this church is not 30. Now, if you're 30 and you're offended by that, once you get 40, you'll understand why I made that statement. I'm just saying, 
right? I'm looking at 60, and I'm looking back at my 40s going, man, you were just as dumb as you wanted to be, right? You, you trying to get better. I'm trying to get better. I don't know when I'll get to the place, but I'm trying to get better. Everybody with me in here? Come on, all the folk older than 30, say amen. Help me out here. Don't, okay, I'm about to say, don't leave me out here by myself, you know. Here, here's the point. Here's the point. How do we help people become all that God wants them to be? How do we do that? The Bible says in Acts 2, verse 41, when Peter got through preaching, over 3,000 new souls were added to the church. The Bible says later in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, after they began sharing in worship, instruction, fellowship, and the expression of their faith, that God continued to add to the church daily. So, church membership matters to God. And church membership is added to by God when we honor God in what we do. Now, we have some challenges today because we have to rethink membership. We have to rethink what that means because most folk don't want to commit to a church for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is they don't see the benefit of membership. If I can just attend and get the benefit, why commit? Right? And we live in an age and time when people are afraid of commitments. They don't want to make a commitment. So how do we help people? A, we help people believe. We got to help people believe. Verse 9, Romans chapter 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. saved. We got to help people believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We have to help people believe in the saving power of Jesus Christ. We have to help people believe in the life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to help people believe that when they accept Jesus Christ, they can get better. They can become all that God wants them to be. They can fulfill their God potential in life. We've got to help people believe. But look at B. We also want to help people belong. We want to help people belong. We want to help people feel like they're part of a family. Now, let's be honest. Most of us, our families of chance are kind of dysfunctional, right? I say your family of chance, the one you were born into that you had no choice in, right? And, and most of us enjoy our family of choice more than we enjoy our family of chance. Like that's, that's the play mama you have in the play brothers and sisters, you know, and the cousins that really aren't cousins, but y'all are close like that. Those are all family by choice, right? And people want to belong. People want to be part of something, and they want to be embraced, and they want to be loved. They want to be loved where they are, and they want to be loved so they can become the best that they can be. Ephesians 2.19, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. We want to help people belong, man, to feel at home. And can, can I tell you something? Like, we don't help people feel at home 
when we're looking at them crazy because we tell them they're in our seat, <laughs> even though your name is not on the chair. You, you know what I mean? Like, we don't help people feel at home when they're in your parking space, even though your name is not on the parking space. You, you follow what I'm saying? Because if we're trying to help people believe and help them to belong, then we ought to rejoice at the opportunity that God gives, even if we have to make a sacrifice. Like if somebody needs Jesus and they sit in your seat, are you so selfish and egocentric that you worrying about where you sit and you got here late anyway? Or are you willing to say, you know what, Holy Ghost, that might be somebody who needs Jesus today. That message might just be for them. Lord, I'm going to pray for whoever's sitting in that chair. God, that you have your way in their life. Are you mumbling under your breath because you couldn't get your favorite parking spot? Or are you willing to say, you know what, Lord, whoever's there, God, I hope you bless them right now. I'm praying for them in the name of Jesus. I want to cover them in believing prayer. Here's the last thing. See, we want to help people become. You say become. What do you mean become? Look at verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Ephesians 2.21, let's read it together. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Y'all sound so good. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Would you circle that word transform? See, the truth of the matter is we should all be in the process of becoming. We should all be better than we used to be. But we're not through yet in terms of growing and becoming all that God wants us to be. Go to the end. Remember, you become what you are committed to. You become what you are committed to. And I submit to you, when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, he wasn't talking about money. For some of you, you say, oh, but, but if you're talking about money, I'm in trouble. Yeah, you are. But he's not talking about money, not money alone. He's talking about who you are. When you give of your time, your talent, your treasure, your temple, and your testimony, when you give of yourself, you are more blessed than you can ever be and just getting. When we talk about serving, when we talk about giving, when we talk about loving, somebody in here, husband and wife, let me help somebody because the Lord just brought this to my mind. Do you know how much better your marriage will be if you both learned how to serve one another? Now, I already know some of you have a problem with that word serve. And God forbid, slave. But I said, if you serve one another. Now, typically when I say that, I say serve one another. You start thinking about what that other person needs to do for you. That's right, pastor. You tell them. 
oh selfish self. Tell her. Pastor, I know you're right. Tell her. Get her straight. That's right. No, I said serve each other. Because watch this. When you learn how to serve one another, both of your needs are met and both of you are blessed because you have been giving to one another, which is the fulfillment of the God in you who gave his son for us. We become more like God when we give, not when we get. We become more like God when we are a blessing, not when we are blessed. That's when we are at our best. And when we learn how to share with one another and give to one another in that immediate relationship that we chose to enter, it will have a positive rippling effect in every area of our lives. How many of y'all know somebody that acts a fool at work and you say something must have happened at home? <laughs> and when they come in calm, you say, Whoop, it must be good at home, right? Because <laughs> some of us wear that on our sleeves as we walk to and fro in this world. Come on, let's read our vision statement together. Let's begin. Over the next year, Good Hope will, through a small group, celebration missional model serve people in our target areas 77004 77021 77033 77051 and the Houston metropolitan area that's your area to help 2,000 new people make our church the place they can believe belong and become all God when we do that, we make the world a better place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I pray now, God, that everything that we have said and done, that it has been pleasing in your sight. Help us to become vision-focused, not just for this church, but in our own lives, so that we can find the fulfillment that you ultimately have for us in knowing and serving you. We pray that your word has found fertile ground in our hearts and minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.